Well, it's marriage meeting. Did you know that? So what do we do in marriage meeting? We talk about marriage. Yeah, it's not a surprise. And you know, always in marriage meeting, I like to read marriage scriptures. Welcome to church tonight. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, if you would, uh, if you don't have a Bible, as Keith usually says, I'll pull his trick. Uh, Raise your hand. The ushers have Bibles. They would like to share with you and let you borrow tonight because the word is of utmost importance. Because, you know, there's a lot of opinions about marriage out there. And what did Keith say? What did you say? 1.2 million? Something like that or whatever it is. Lots of them anyway or going under every year. So uh, we want to find out what the Word says about it. So uh, I want to read these scriptures before I really get into what I have to say tonight because I think if, if we know what the Word says about it, even when we're not here, the Holy Spirit can bring all things to our remembrance. And uh, sometimes we don't just, like I said the other night, take the time to read the marriage scriptures. So they're good to read. Some people are getting hooked. We'll just stay here till they do. All right, Ephesians 5.22 in the King James. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself." For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless... Let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. That says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, let's read 1 Peter in the NIV. 1 Peter 3, 1. It says in the NIV, Wives, in the same way, Be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands 
like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever will love life and see good days, he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, if we just all read that every day and took one of the verses and did it every day, everybody would have all their marriage problems fixed. But see, the problem is this next verse that I'm going to read you. And if it wasn't in the Bible, it would be real good, but it's in here. (laughs) Some verses, you know, you'd like to just take your scissors and cut them out. You know, one time I did that. I tore. I was here and I tore. Did y'all? Was y'all here? Was that last year? Yeah, we tore some verses out. But anyway, First Corinthians seven twenty eight says this. And I want a show of hands of how many have found this to be true. First Corinthians seven twenty eight in the King James says, "But if you marry, you haven't sinned." Well, it just depends on how long you've been married. Because everybody that's married's got a mouth, right? Okay. And if a virgin marry, you didn't get that. <laughs> and if a virgin marry, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, you shall have trouble in the what? Flesh. But I spare you. Now look over at your neighbor. Look over at your neighbor. Yeah, everybody looks the opposite way from their spouse. That's okay. That's okay. We'll get there. Do they have flesh? Pinch them and see do they have flesh. I didn't say rub their hand, Jennifer. I said pinch her and see did she have flesh. Do they got flesh? I think they got some flesh in here tonight. We have flesh. You know, and if we didn't have any flesh, marriage might go a lot easier. If everybody in here was a spirit, and we could just walk in the spirit, glory, 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 all day long, we might not ever have any troubles. But you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning, and when you wake up in the morning... Grumpy bitches woke up with you. Is it true? 
Or maybe you woke up with grumpy britches. Or maybe you are grumpy britches. Right? You have flesh. Every person in this room has flesh. And it just depends on how much of it in a day we decide we want to yield to. It just depends on how much of it in a day we decide we want to yield to God or we want to yield to our flesh as to how much trouble we're going to have in our marriage. And that's what it depends on. Now, let me explain to you what flesh is. In case some of you are confused about what flesh is, would you like to know? Okay, this is the message, but I'm going to take it directly from the Bible so we don't have any opinions in here tonight, right? Okay, this is the message Bible, and I know it's kind of an interpretation. It's not even really a translation, but I think you'll get the point across, okay? Matthew 7, 1 says this. Doesn't matter if you wake up with mad pants, okay? Verse 7, 1 in the Message Bible. Don't pick on people. Okay? Is that flesh? Yes. Picking on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't jump on if they burned the bacon this morning. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Have you ever burned the bacon? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever cooked it? Yeah. Yeah, have you ever burned it? Yeah. Well, then what you laughing at her for? Huh? Jumping on her failures? Yeah. Or criticize somebody else's faults. That's flesh. That's what flesh does. Now, you know, I can talk. I'm up here and keeps over there, so I'll turn my back and tell you stories. <laughs> Because sometimes, you know, a lot of times anymore, he's here and I'm there, or I'm there and he's here, so I can to tell you stories and I don't have to wonder what he's thinking because he's not even here, you know. But, you know, I like things done a certain way, of course. You know that, right? Well, sometimes maybe we'll get something or something and, and we'll have to put it together or something, you know. And, and Keith loves to read the manuals. <laughs> like... I don't care if the manual is this thick. Before we take it out of the box, we're going to read the manual. Now me, me, it's out of the box and all the parts are everywhere. And we've got it, you know, half put up before the manual's even found hardly. But, but... I get to a point to where I can't finish. And then I'm looking for Keith. But before I get to that point, I've criticized him for two hours because why won't you just help me put this up? But then I get to the point where I'm like, I can't finish it. So what do I want him to do? Read the manual. Now what is that? F-L-E-S-H. It's flesh. And we all have it. And that's what we deal with every day with each person that we're dealing with. It's the same thing with you when you walk in the bathroom, ladies, and the toilet seat is not back down. Why do you complain? You're the one that wanted the 50-50. He put it up. You can put it down. (laughs) 
Yes, that's right, huh, Kim? That's exactly right. I mean, that's 50-50, ain't it? You know, we all have flesh. Everybody has it, in here has it. And just like when I was talking with these guys, the bad part about it is, is we criticize them for the same thing that we do. We just do it in a different way. Maybe I didn't burn the bacon today, but I burned it yesterday. I mean, we have a joke in, with Keith and I, like, I burned so many things, bread, so many times in the oven. How many of you have ever done that? Put toast or something? Oh, burn it so many times in the oven. It's like a rule for me. I have to set a timer. I don't put bread in the oven without setting a timer. So the other day, Keith put some bread in the oven. Did it burn? It burned. <laughs> I'm going to tell up on him. It burned. I said, what's the rule? Set the timer. (laughs) Set the timer. It's easy to criticize somebody else for burning something until you do it. You get busy with something else, you know. Or we have this little, uh, you probably have one too, water purifier thing sitting on the sink, you know. Oh, no, it's right. I have the microphone now. <laughs> and um, we have, I have done it, and, I, and I'll say, I'll say, flesh. We have flesh. And I've done it so many times myself to where I've gotten frustrated. I'll set a glass or a cup or something on the side of the sink and forget I turn it on or a pot or something, and it overflows all over the counter, all down the floor. You've never done it. You're going to criticize me, right? Uh-huh. I see it. So I told Keith, I said, you know what might be good is if we would set it in the sink instead of setting it on the counter, we would save ourselves that trouble. He goes, uh-huh. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it overflowed, didn't it? Runneth it runneth over. <laughs> it overflowed. Now, I would be... I would be really, really, really carnal to jump all over him because it runneth over when I didn't tell him I had run it over ten times myself. I mean, just because he didn't see me run it over ten times myself to fuss at him because he ran it over one time. But that's what our flesh does. It's really quick to criticize and jump on the faults of other people, never going, see these bright lights going like this. Let's keep reading this verse. It says, don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. It says, that critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Okay? It might not boomerang with your spouse, but what will happen is the very person you don't want it to boomerang with, it'll boomerang with. Your boss or somebody you really care about, it'll be found out that you've done something and they'll find out about it. And that's the way the devil works. 
that critical spirit will be found out and it'll come back on you and they'll judge you for something you did. And it'll come back at the worst possible time. You'll be judged for something you did. It's not going to judge you most likely for, uh, I told him about the water. It's going to happen. If, if, he, if I judge him, then it's going to be, you're going to judge me for standing up here and saying something weird. Or I'll get some funny letter or something will happen. It won't be that he judges me because I didn't turn off the water or something. It'll be something that I care about. It'll come back and get you. And bite you when you don't want to be bit. It says, verse 3, It's easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face with that overflowing water, when your (laughs) own face is distorted with contempt? It's this whole traveling road show mentality all over again. Playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. You know, it's just too easy to just take our frustrations out on the closest person next to us because we woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something's not going right and they're the closest ones, so we just jump on them. But we can't do it. That's what causes so much strife and so much fleshiness coming out all throughout the day. What does the Word say about it? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10.3. We'll keep going with this. Did you know that you can judge somebody without ever saying a word to them? You can judge something they do, and they can actually feel it without you ever saying a word to them. What if when that pot rolled over or runneth over in the kitchen, I just stood there and went, didn't smile, didn't do anything, just went, Do you think that would, that would make anybody feel better? They already feel bad because it runneth over. You know? Or is that helping them in any way that you're judging them because they made a, a mistake about it? Most of the time when people make mistakes, they don't need somebody judging them. They need somebody telling them, hey, it's going to be okay. I'll help you clean that up. And you know what? You loved them enough to marry them. You said you'd live with them. What, how does that, the worldly stuff go? Richer or poorer, sickness and health, better or worse. That was worse when that pot boiled over. You said you would. But then the worst comes and you're like, flesh. That's what happens when those things happen. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.3, the King James. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That means we don't have to fight with the people that are there with us. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
Now, verse 6 is what I want you to get. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience, read that next part out loud with me, when your obedience is fulfilled. When your obedience is fulfilled and you're doing everything perfect and you've never burned the toast and you've never done anything wrong, then you can wake up that morning and say you burned the toast or burned the bacon. But you know what? Like Keith said last night, none of us have it perfect right yet. We just don't. So where do we feel like it's okay to jump on our partner about something that they're doing? Where do we feel like it's okay for us to say, for Keith to say, Jennifer, you didn't get this done. Have you ever forgot anything, Keith? Once? (laughs) Has he ever forgot anything, Jennifer? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. We do forget things. And so that's what it's talking about. When your obedience is fulfilled. You know, I have a full-time job taking care of me. I have a full-time job throughout the day. I told this in Sarasota one Sunday, okay? One morning, I got up. I don't know how Keith's day was going, but one morning, I got up, and this particular morning was just like one of those days. And I could have been Miss Grumpy Britches that day. I got up. I got my coffee. I went out into the backyard to let the pups out, and when I did, they jumped on me, and coffee went all over my white robe, That was just the start. Then I went to put my makeup on, and it spilled all over me, and it spilled all over the counter. And I can't remember what all happened, but I I know. Then I went to my blow dryer. That was the other thing. Fell in my sink, and water just ran all in my blow dryer. And yes, I used it anyway. (laughs) And then I went to use my hairspray, and it was one of those days where it just made that tiny stream, and it just sprayed this straight clot right into the side of your hair. I mean, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And it was just one of those days where you just felt like, I quit. And when Keith came up, I had a choice to make. I can take all my frustrations out on him because he asked me for something and he had no clue how many bad things had happened that morning. And maybe he asked me, does this look okay, or can you help me with this? And maybe I could have said, you don't understand. But what did he do wrong? But so many times, because we have flesh, that's exactly what happens. And the other person doesn't even have a clue what's going on with the other person. And that's what it's talking about. Casting down the imaginations and all these things that's going on in your mind. We fill in the blanks all the time. And we think, I could have jumped on Keith and I could have just let him have it. And he thought, what is going on with her? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? What did I say? Did I mess up? What did, what did I do? Did I, did I, and all kind of things could have filled his thoughts and minds. When he didn't do anything wrong. And then there you open a door and the devil is right there to start filling your mind and start causing marriage troubles and start causing all these problems. And he didn't do anything wrong. But that's exactly what the devil tries to do. 
is he gives you a bad day and you take it out on him and he don't even know what he did wrong. Or maybe he had a bad day at work and the first thing he does when he comes in is jumps on you and you think, what did I do? What did I do? And it just goes on and on. So we've got to start looking at the seriousness of taking our frustrations out on other people. But somebody has to start. Somebody has to start. Because it's real easy to say, okay, let's not give it place to this flesh. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. And I guarantee you, if you were to think about it for just a second, you would know who would be the first one to not give place to their flesh in our house. What are y'all laughing about? (laughs) That's just not fair. Okay. John 3, verse 17 in the Amplified. It said, For God did not send the Son into the world, or His Son into the world, this is the Amplified, in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation. Now, this next part is what I want you to see. And be made safe and sound through him. Do you feel safe and sound through Jesus? Can you go to him with absolutely anything? Even if you had a bad day, can you go to Jesus about it? Even if everything is messed up in your life, can you go to him about it? Even if you know you really messed up, can you go to him? Even if everybody has chewed you out and it looks like the day is ruined, can you still go to him? Why? Because you know he loves you. Because you know he loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done wrong. You can always go to him because you know he loves you. Right? Yes. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians 5:29. And this is the King James. We don't want to get strayed from the King James for this part because I don't want anybody to think that we've added to or taken from the word. We want to go with the real word, King James. Does this not sound kind of like the same thing? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. He made it safe and sound. He nourished it and he cherished it. Even as the Lord the church. What does that sound like to you? Does it sound like that the head of the house should be a safe place that you should be able to go? Does it sound like they should be able to lead and you should always be able to go there? I know that sometimes I, now no laughing, am not the easiest person to get along with. I know I've had bad days in our 30-something years of marriage. 
But you know what Keith's done? Even just like last night, he's walked up to me and he says, you know what? Would a kiss make it better? <laughs> and I remember one time, years and years and years ago, years and years ago, I bet it was, man, he'll have to help me with it. I bet it was 25 years ago. Something had happened at my job and it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. He says, come on, get in the car. I got in the car. He took me to a pet store and he bought me a puppy. He said, will a puppy help? I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it would. I think it would help. I think it would. And I know there's been hundreds of thousands and thousands and thousands of times that things have gone bad and I've just gone home in the recliner and I've just gone like this. <laughs> and just sat there. Because it's been a bad day. And you know, if you can't do that, then something's not right. There has to be a rock in your house. The husband is supposed to be like Christ in the church. But he has to be a soft rock. You know, we have a saying around here, always make it easy for people to come back if they leave. And it should be the same way in your house. I don't care if Jennifer went out tomorrow and cleaned out their bank account. Keith works hard. I know. Spent all their money on hats. <laughs> and he was planning on buying a new boat with it or something. <laughs> yes they'd probably have a few words about that. But at some point along the way, at some point along the way, there should be a safe place to come back. There has to be someone that is the love head enough to say, you know what? You did mess up, but we'll make it through this. Take all those hats back. <laughs> but I do love you. But you got to take the hats back. But he doesn't blow his stack. He doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't start throwing things and busting walls down. He loves her enough that she is more valuable to him than all the hats she bought or all the money he's got. And there has to be a lead. And just like what Keith was talking about last night, God ordained it that the man be the lead. And he is graced to be able to do what we're talking about. When it seems like the woman has done, I know I've done some of the dumbest things, and Keith has just gone and shook his head and rolled his eyes. But he's always been there. And he doesn't lose his cool. And he's like, Phil. But he's always there. And it makes you know. It makes you know that you have a rock. 
It makes you know that you have someone that no matter what happens, that you can go to them. That they're not going to just throw everything out and beat everybody up and, and just do something crazy. We have an example, guys, of who could do that. What did they do to Jesus? They beat him. They spat on him. They did all kind of stuff to him. And what did he do? He took it. I'm not saying that you should, should just say, yes, everything Kim does is okay, and, and she never should be punished for anything. I'm not saying, okay, punished is the wrong word in that sense. Okay. <laughs> She's not too. Okay. But discussion about it and take the hats back type thing. Okay? But... To lose your cool and start breaking things and beating things and and not be able to have an adult conversation about this. If Jesus is in you, you are no longer in the world. You have now the ability to control what's going on in your life. You have now the ability to not yield to your flesh. Just like that morning for me, when everything was going ballistic for me, I didn't have to take it out on Keith. Now, I didn't say it was easy. Because sometimes what you have to do is get in your car and drive away for a few minutes. And then come back and say, you know what? We're going to be all right. I figured out how you could take those hats back. (laughs) Glory to God. I called the store and they said they'd take every one of them back and we could get all our money back. And she may cry for a month. She wants to keep all those hats so she can show them off right here on the front row to everybody with all the feathers and the boas and, you know, she may just become into Miss Show and Tell or something. I don't know. But... There is a way to control what's going on inside you. Jesus gave us that ability. And Keith was talking last night about submission. But you know, then I get to ladies' night, and the biggest thing I get from ladies is, I can't submit and he doesn't lead. And how can you follow a man that when something does go wrong, he loses it all the time? That's not okay. Ladies, you don't have permission to go out and spend a bunch of money. That's not okay. Let's keep going here for just a minute, and you'll see where I'm going. Galatians 6.1. Now, this is talking to both of us. It's not just talking to the men or to the ladies. It's talking to both of us. And it says this. This is King James. It says, brothers, if a man... Be overtaken in a fault. You, which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another." For every man shall bear his own burden. You which are spiritual should restore someone that has fallen. Mm 
You say, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what my spouse did. It was way worse than, than getting hats. You don't know what they did in our marriage. You don't know how bad it was. Don't tell me to forgive them. I didn't. The Bible right here says, and it is King James again. It says, brothers, if a man, and that means woman too, be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual. Now, how many spiritual people do I have in here? That's just what I thought. There's a few people that didn't raise their hand. They're trying to be exempt. You who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of meekness. That doesn't mean you say, Jennifer, I'm going to forgive you about this, but you're an idiot. You knew better than to do that and condemn and put her down. It says in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, that you could have went out and spent that money yourself on something. I could just see him in a bunch of, what do they call men's hats? Fedoras or something. Stocking caps. Get the boat. Yeah, get the boat. The men are all saying, get the boat, get the boat. <laughs> yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. You could, you could be tempted to, in the exact same way to spend the money. Something come up. But you who are spiritual should in a spirit of meekness take the opportunity to say, you know what? I've missed it before. I've blown it before. I'm going to restore them. Because you know what? Let's read it in the Message Bible. Uh Oh, I was right. Live creatively. Friends, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing that forgiveness before the day's out. (laughs) Yes. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed and share their burdens. And so complete Christ's law. What is Christ's law? Love. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Now, what does it mean to restore and forgive someone? What does that mean? Say what? Put them back in their place. Not bring it up again. Love on them. Give them grace. Treat them as though it never happened. Those are all real good. But you know the biggest thing you got to do? We had a friend. I'll get back to the biggest thing you got to do. We had a friend. He was in jail. And he had done some really bad things. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he shoot a police officer or something? Yeah. And he was in jail. His testimony's out there. And he was in jail. And one night, he got tired of jail. And he jumped like 30 feet off this thing and then climbed a fence and broke his foot and he ran like 10 or 20 miles, I forget how far it was, on a broken foot and 
And um, while he was doing this, he got away, and he completely got away. And he was in jail for life. And he said he'd look at the calendar, and he'd turn the pages, and he'd look for date of parole and it, for none. And he'd look on the calendar and look for that date, none. And there never was a date of none. So it meant he was going to be in there forever. And he was never going to get out, never be paroled, forever. And there was no chance of parole, no chance of him ever getting out. So he just decided, I'm getting out of here. So he took off one night. And after he had gotten out, he was running. And he got to, I guess, I think he said his mom's house. It's been a long time since I've even remembered this story. But I think he said his mom's house. And while he was going there, he said the Lord started dealing with him about he could run his whole life. But if he turned his life over to him, his life would change and he would be different. But he had to turn himself in in order to do that. Isn't that correct? So he turned himself in. And it wasn't long after that that he got a full governor's pardon. Pardon. And he looked at Keith and I in the eye one day, and he said, Keith, do you know what a pardon means? I'll never forget it, because it just, it just did something to me when he said that. He said, do you have a speeding ticket? And, of course, we had a speeding ticket, and we were young. He said, not even a speeding ticket is on my record. There is absolutely nothing on my record. It is spotless. It is clean. There's nothing on there. If you pulled up my record today, it would be cleaner than your record. A full pardon. Now, we in today's society don't really know and understand forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not forgetting about it today and when you need to use it again in six months, bringing it back up again. Forgiveness is when something is done, it's washed away forever and it never even crosses your thought processes again. You say, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Because God can wash it from your memory banks forever if you let him. And you can let your past, whatever happened in your marriage before, ministers watching on the internet, your wife, your cousin, your father, your brother, they can't make you feel guilty about what happened in your past if you repented and asked God to forgive you for it. But, there's that word, you have to have truly repented for it. You can't do it every other day and be truly repentant of it. Mm, yep. But forgiveness in somebody's life is, when somebody is truly changed, you don't expect them to go and buy you a fur coat to pay for what they did six years ago. And they don't have to pay for it every year. And they don't have to buy you stuff every other day. And they don't have to fix it every other day. 
It's either done and under the blood and pardoned and washed clean, or it's not. And we as Christians should be the example of that to people. What did God do for you? What have we been talking about all night long? We've been talking about how can we dare to judge someone else when we all have things in our life that Jesus did for us. Everybody in here has things in their life that we'd all go to hell for. But Jesus washed every one of us in here white as snow and cleaned us up and made us be able to stand before him with our heads held high. So who are you, spouse, to say they're not clean? You're more important than Jesus? The devil has gotten inroads into people's lives. People have messed up. There has been an enormous amount of mess-ups in marriage. But you have to make a decision. You have to decide at some point in your life whether you're going to let the devil destroy you or you're going to forgive and move on. And I'm not saying what the Bible, the Bible did say. Yes, if somebody has an affair, you can leave them today. You have complete rights to do that. But you have rights to sue somebody that does you wrong. But does it always make it right to do it? I know lots of marriages today. Lots and lots and lots of them. That people had major, major, major issues in their marriage. And one thing after another, there were things that were happening. People were looking at stuff. There were affairs. There were things that were happening with people. And their marriages are stronger today than they were then. Forgiveness is putting things out of your mind and putting them in the past. It's making their record cleaner than what it was before in your mind. It's not easy. Keith forgives me all the time. He don't bring up what I did yesterday or the day before. He would, he would have a list. I mean, how, how far would it go? <laughs> I mean, of of mistakes that I've made or things, you know? And I'm so thankful that I don't have to wake up every morning and wonder, is he going to hold this over my head today? What's he going to hold over my head today? What am I going to have to do to get forgiveness for that today? What what are we going to have to do to get past this today? Marriages have enough troubles as there is without having to deal with these things. Let's look at something here. It says, John 8, verse 7 in the NIV. It says, John 8, 7. See if we know what we're talking about. See if we have any scripture for it. And when they kept on questioning Jesus, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him throw the first, let let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time and read the next few words with me. The older ones first. Why did the older ones first go away? Why would the older ones go away first? Because they had more spiritual maturity about them. They'd been around stuff longer. They'd seen more stuff. They'd dealt with more stuff. Young people are so full of pride that they'll never mess up or never done anything wrong that they're like, I'll throw a stone. But what did this say up here? You which are spiritual, restore. Older and more mature people, the more mature person in the marriage is going to be the very first one to say, I'm not casting any stones. I've I've spilled the water so many times. How can I cast a stone? I've not put stuff together right so many times. How can I tell him not to read the manual? How can we be critical of what our mate is doing when we're doing so many things ourselves? It would just stop so many problems in our marriage if we would just shine the light on ourselves and quit, and quit trying to figure out something that we can find fault in them. Look at this with me. We'll keep reading that. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Did he tell her it was okay what she was doing? Did Keith tell Jennifer it was okay to keep the hats? I'm not standing here telling you it's okay to say everything that's wrong in your marriage. You should just say, yeah, that's okay, sweetheart. Go clean out our account again tomorrow. I'll just work night and day, keep putting it back. No. Or it's okay for you to just sleep around every day. That's okay. No. But what is right is that we get a brain in our head to realize if people truly have changed, it's not our job to keep heaping condemnation on them and keep bringing it back up to them. The devil's mean enough as it is. What is church and God for? Why does anybody go to church? Why did you get saved? To not go to hell? So you didn't have to go to hell? To get saved? To change? Well, it's the same thing. We should be really quick to be forgiving of others because it's the very same thing that we're not having to get. We shouldn't condemn them into doing things because of what they have done. So when you get a manual in your box, how many of the husbands read manuals? Lift, lift the hands high. Uh-huh. And how many of the wives just get it out of the box and start putting it together? See? It's the way it is. It's the different personalities. It's it's the way it happens. Then we get it halfway done. We shouldn't be fussing because he's already got to the part that you're going to need. 
Do you understand? God made us as a couple because we each have our strengths. And there's parts of us that we should be pulling the good out of each other. I know, you know, and the reason that I'm even on this is because I was thinking about the couple that gave the testimony about their kids and their grandkids and the generations that wouldn't even be there if they had gotten divorced. You know? And I thought about... Keith did a a few things and checked out on, like, maybe our genealogy on a few things, and he told me the story about my, was it great-great-great-grandfather? Even further back than that. Okay. Even further back than that. Great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Maybe I got enough of him in there. I don't know what it was. But anyway, he was a Maya. And... He was from, where was he from? (laughs) From Paris to New Orleans. Wound up in the Delta land, okay? But for some reason or another, he was in... (laughs) I love my husband. I watched his show the other day, and I was going to tell you all part of it tonight, but I said, I can't remember enough of it to tell you, so and he didn't watch it. You know, it was something about the rednecks. I said, I wish you to watch that with me. Um, okay, but they wound up in Natchez. And anyway, but my grandfather, there was a battle that was going on, and my grandfather was there, and they were killing all the men. They killed every man that was there, except for two. And one of them was my grandfather. Or my great, 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 great grandfather. Because he could drive a wagon, and they needed somebody to take all the goods of all the people that they killed their stuff out. And he had a wagon, and he could drive it. And so they didn't kill him. And you know what? Because of them not killing him, I'm standing here today. Okay, so. So. Say so. So. If you get a divorce... You don't know. You have absolutely no clue why you're in church tonight. And what your great, 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 great grandchildren might do for God. You don't have a clue. You have absolutely no clue what your grandkids will do for God much less your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids will do for God. You think it's all about you. You think it's all about you getting what you want today. But it's not. The devil is not all about you and your pretty little self sitting there. He has a plan. And that plan is to destroy anything that has to do with the kingdom of God. And you know, if he could have, he'd have killed everybody along both of our lines, both of Brother Hagin's lines, both of Brother Copeland's lines, both of anybody that was trying to get the word out. It's his plan. And you don't know, but what your grandkids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your family along the way, it's going to be the same way. 
And who are we to stand in the way of that? It's real pride for us to wake up in the mornings and think buying a bunch of hats is more important than what could happen down the road. Or having a fight with our spouse today over something so trivial as boiling as water going off the counter. And it happens every day. It happens every day in people's marriages that the devil throws in some little trivial something and people get divorces over it, not putting the toilet seat down, not buying them flowers for their anniversary, not taking them to the place they want to eat, not remembering their birthday. And marriages are destroyed left and right over dumb, trivial stuff when thousands of people could be saved, maybe generations down the line, through your heritage. Is that selfish? You can't put up with the toilet paper roll not being put back on? I'm serious. Because it's not the big things most of the time that destroy the marriages. It's they didn't clean up the table or they didn't put the bed back right or they didn't put the pillow back on right or the sheets are crooked or the... And marriages get destroyed over these things every day. And you don't even know what your life is called to minister to other people about. Did Keith or I, either one, have a clue when we were growing up that we were going to be in the ministry? Not a chance. Not a chance. I would have run. No. But God has a plan, and he knows what needs to happen in our lives. But sometimes you have to put your flesh aside and say there's more important things than me. And guess what that thing is? Not one person answered. The Lord and his plan for your life and what he's called you to do and what he's called your kids to do and the generations after you to do. Do you know what your kids are going to do? No clue. You know what your great-grandkids are going to do? No. No. You know what you're going to finally do throughout life? No. You know what 10 years from now you're going to be doing? We don't know. Even the smartest person in here doesn't know what they'll be doing 10 years from now. So how can we make our plans on exactly what's going to be happening to us 10 years from now? We need to do what the Lord says. Look at this verse with me. Matthew 7. What I'm talking about is someone has to lead. And God has graced the head of the house to be that person. Matthew 7 says this, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them unto a wise man 
who built his house upon a rock. When the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, it fell not. For it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that hears these sayings and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell and great was the fall. The Message Bible says it this way. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. The rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and they don't get worked into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. Now, we lived in a house in Florida for a while and it was on a sandy beach and it started washing away and started collapsing, didn't it? You can't build your house on a sandy beach. When the storm rolled in, the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Who is the rock? Jesus Jesus is the rock. Who is the man supposed to be in the marriage like? If the man follows in the footsteps of Jesus, he will have all the strength to be able to stand and be that rock. He doesn't have to just make wishy-washy decisions and lose his cool and, and get frustrated and and do all the things that the world does. He can be that rock, and he can be that soft rock that people don't mind coming to and sharing their things with. 1 Peter 3, 8 says this. It's in the Message Bible. It says, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, Be compassionate. Be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp tongue. Sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job. To bless, you'll be a blessing, and you'll get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all that it's worth. God looks on all this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked. But he turns his back on those who do evil things. So many times people don't know who the enemy is. So many times in a marriage, people are fighting each other instead of fighting the devil. They get up, and throughout the day, something comes up, and the devil, all he's got to do is put some kind of feeling on you, 
and you snap at her. And then there's tension in the marriage. There's a fight between the two of you. Instead of the two of you turning together and fighting the devil. What happens then is the devil destroys you instead of you destroying the devil. Where if every person, every time something came in that there needed to be fought, you would look at each other and you'd say, that's not us, that's the devil. And close the door, then the devil wouldn't have any place to win in our marriages anymore. Dave got me some props. I need them, Dave. I'm going to show them to you. I got some little props here. I think everybody needs some of these. We have two little dogs. I have two little dogs. Keith puts up with them. <laughs> he got them for me. These two little dogs, where's Tara? She and kids? She's back there. Tara came to our house when they were puppies. Tara, stand up if I'm right. She came to our house and she was there not five minutes and she says, these little dogs are Keith and Phyllis Moore. Did you not say that? <laughs> she wasn't there five minutes and that's the very first thing she said. The little girl dog, I am not kidding you, has an attitude. <laughs> she will tell you everything she wants and she will let you know it. And not only will she do that, but if the boy dog has a chew or a bone or food or anything, she, and you give them both one at the same time, she has her chew, but not only does she have her chew, she goes and puts it someplace and she goes and takes his and chews it till she's done with it and then she chews hers. And this is what he does. Am I right? Am I right? He will just let her, and she will be so mean sometimes. She'll just go to him and she'll go, and just growl at him, and 30 seconds later, she's laying flat on top of him. <laughs> and I often think, how many, I mean, I think it almost every day, I think how many marriages would be spared if they could just be like these two little dogs? have as much sense as these two little dogs because they just don't fight. I mean, and they're not brother and sister, but the thing about it is they just, he just lets her get by with so much. But I tell you what, sometimes when it matters and he wants his bone, he'll go, hmm, hmm. In other words, you know, there's a time and a place. But you know what? Most of the time, it's no big deal. Most of the time, it's no big deal. And you know what? The reason Tara said that is because that's kind of the way it is in our house. <laughs> Most of the time, and he's laughing. It's the truth. Most of the time, I'm running 100 miles an hour, and he's just like, where do you want to eat? I don't know. I don't know. You know? And he, he's just like, whatever. But then when the real things matter, it's like, no, we're not doing that. And that's when I need to give in. And that's what submission is. It's not some guy tyrant standing over telling uh, his wife 24 hours a day, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. He'd get worn out. 
Is that true? <laughs> would never work. That's not what it is. It's about when things need the head to make a decision that it's time for you to give in. It's time for you to submit and do what needs to be done. And there wouldn't be problems. There wouldn't be strife. And I have no problems because then when things are not right and I've had a bad day or something's gone crazy or somebody's done something weird or something, you know, I just come and it's, it's too funny. I have to tell you. He won't like it, but I'll tell you anyway. He'll kiss me goodnight and the pups will go. <laughs> they want to kiss too. <laughs> it's too cute. It's too cute. Back to this other. I told you, it's too cute. He won't kiss them, though. He won't kiss them. Come up here, sweetheart. I'm going to have to make you do this illustration with me. If we can figure out how to do this. You mind doing this with me? No. No? Okay. I don't know do. You don't know what to do? I don't know either. We'll figure it out. We got time. Y'all ain't going nowhere, are you? Where's the manual? <laughs> Did you read the manual? Yes, he did. Okay, okay. This is what's going on in people's lives all the time. They are constantly fighting with each other. Like that. Battle is on all day long. It's snap, snap. Snap, 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 snap with each other. But what should really happen is, who wants to play the devil? Jump up. Come on, guys. But what should happen is, we should be fighting the devil all day long. Do you see? instead of fighting each other. And when two put 10,000 to fight, you know, I mean, we are battling. You can fight Kim now. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? You can fight each other all day long and wear yourself out. And that is the devil's plan. Because if you're worn out fighting each other, you have no strength to fight him. And that's his plan. But if you will quit fighting each other, then when things attack you, you have every bit of your spiritual strength to fight him. And that's been his plan all along. Then we'll have a church that's glorious to present to the Lord. We'll have a healed church. We'll have a prosperous church. We'll have an overcoming church. Because everybody has turned from fighting each other and backbiting each other. And it's not just husbands and wives. It's the other person sitting across the aisle in the church. And it's your brother and your sister and your mother and your father and your boss and your cousin. If we just quit fighting each other and fight the devil we would be so strong on the inside. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand up with me. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge 
by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.